electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the market's your money, whether it is time to start buying stocks again. We debate that with the committee today. Joining me for the hour, Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Jim Labenthal, John Najeri, and Joe Terranova. Good to see everybody. Let's go to the wall. Following that volatile nice week last week, stocks coming off the worst week. The S&P is since late February. There's your picture. We're lower. Joe, you know, I can't help but wonder if some of the activity today is somewhat skewed because of the big media deal. Stocks are reacting in certain sectors as a result of that. So I don't know. Do you feel like we're in a better place this week than we were last week moving forward for the stock market? By the way, you've got UBS raising their price target on the S&P today to 4400 for the year end on much better earnings. What do you think? Well, when you say we, it's interesting because I think you and I are in a good place because we've been highlighting to move away from the high beta names. So, you know, I, I rang the register in terms of the loss on Pinduoduo, on Coinbase, on Pinterest. Those stocks, they're not done correcting, Scott. And if you are still uh, exposed, if you still have leverage in those areas of the NASDAQ, you're going to have a problem moving forward. If you've moved up in quality, if you've focused on cyclically oriented businesses, if you focus on stocks like J.P. Morgan and Citigroup, which are making 52-week highs today, then you're in a good place. And I think moving forward, that's the strategy. Oh, boy. You just called out indirectly Tiffany McGee. Tiff, did you hear him? Did you hear Uh-oh. what Joe just stated? I did. I did. Because, and I, He's talking oh no. smack. I mean, I thought immediately of you, Tiff. You own DocuSign and you own Zoom. I and do. you got Teladoc and Zillow and Tesla and Square and Peloton and Coinbase and Shopify. Oh, boy. Oh, my. Are you worried? I do. <laughs> no, I'm not worried. Listen, this is why I, I buy individual stocks for the long term and not for the short term, right? So, Listen, overall, when you look at what we've been through in the past week, um, all of these, you know, uh, uh, numbers who have, that, that, that have come out and the market has reacted to, um, I really believe that we're in a transition period, right? And we're really trying to figure out what our new normal is. Um, and it's going to be a specific period of time, right? And um, it's not that we're going to snap our fingers and go to this reopen um, state, um, it's really? going to take a while for us to get there in the market. Know. No, and the market is really know. trying to kind of I'm figure it out. I'm feeling like we are. I'm feeling like masks <laughs> off, gloves off. Let's in go New have York, some fun. Maybe. In New York, <laughs> maybe. On. In New York in July, maybe. But really, and, and when I say that, I'm really thinking about, about um, the jobs number that came out. And so when you think about the Fed, and the Fed has been so very vocal about saying that they're watching um, the jobs numbers, I don't think that this jobs recovery is going to be as smooth as everybody thinks. I mean, you, we've all been, um, you know, at home, um, either working from home or 
or maybe out of work or in, in getting unemployment. And I think that we've gotten used to a, a particular quality of life. And I don't think you snap your fingers and, and, you, and you go back to the same situation that you were in before, um, especially if you're making more money in unemployment than you were working before and you, you get to stay home with your kids. I think there are a number of factors involved that are really going to um, not make this jobs recovery as smooth as everybody thinks that it's going to be or expects it to be. But in saying that, um, I think that you have to kind of play this in two ways, right? So I'm looking for individual stocks that will, that will benefit in the transition, like a DocuSign, like a corn fairy, right? So employers are looking for um, you know, top talent. And DocuSign, you, you can use their service no matter when we're in, if, if we're in a reopening period or um, you know, a new normal period, what, what have you. Okay. But again, this is why I buy stocks not for a week or for a couple of months or even for a year, but for a longer time period. Dr. J, so mm -hmm. these stocks have come down a lot. Joe's smiling. He doesn't know where I'm going next. These stocks have come down, <laughs> obviously, a lot, okay? Month to, and we're talking about the ARC mm -hmm. stocks, the Kathy Wood stocks. Month to date, you know, mid-double digits, 17%, some cases 30%, 25%. When do I know it's time to buy some of these stocks again if I really like them as much as Tiffany McGee likes hers? Um, I think in, in some case, Judge, uh, now is a pretty decent time to start nibbling into these stocks, and I don't fault Tiffany for being in them um, during this time. I'm not in those stocks right now, um, and I'm typically the sort of guy who is chasing momentum. Um, unfortunately, that momentum has been to the downside um, as people have sort of feasted on whatever is in Kathy's portfolio. Um, but, Scott, I think the, 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 the stops and starts, fits and starts that we've experienced already with, for instance, restaurants that want to reopen and can't get enough people back to work, that will start uh, turning the other way over the next six weeks. I still think we have to get through this second quarter before we're gonna see people exhausting some of that extra money that they got um, from the stimulus. And this is not me judging in any way whether or not the people deserved it or not. I'm just stating a fact that most of us, if I'm gonna have to drive for eight hours in an Uber, for instance, or work in that restaurant, if I'm making the same amount of money sitting, sitting at home and perhaps trading on Robinhood, do I really want to go back to work? And I think that money, as it fades, people will go back to work more. And then I think it helps that supply-demand economic, because we know the demand is there. We know that everywhere So let's, the demand is there. So let me but do this. can there be enough supply in the case of workers and in the case of chips for car manufacturers and so forth? And the answer to that has been no. There are not enough uh, of the supply of folks there's just all that demand, Scott. So, Farmer Jim, I, I want to know from you if, if you think, and we're really talking about tech here. I mean, that's, that's where the focus of this conversation mm -hmm. ends up being. If we are, mm -hmm. in fact, going to be in a better place. And let me ask you it in the context of Apple, which closed below its 200-day moving average for the first time in a year last week. Stock that hasn't been able to do anything, Jim. The stock that you recommended yep. two times going into its earnings report that it was time to buy more because you did. And the stock just hasn't done anything. I did. So what Yeah, now? well, 
Yeah, no, listen, obviously disappointed, but my time horizon is longer than two months, and you know that. Um, so, you know, what's going on with Apple right now seems to be not so much interest rates, but these concerns that Chinese iPhone productions and Chinese sales to consumers are much lower than expected. Um, that's a factual comment, but that's also something that's going to pass. And I don't think that anyone like me who owns Apple has any question about the long-term viability of the business model. So having bought roughly around these prices, uh, you know, in February and March, I'm comfortable holding this at least through the end of the year. And when I see through the end of the year, I'm talking about the overweight because, Scott, as I've said before, I do think Apple will set a new high this year. That's 145. And, you know, getting to 150 will put it up, uh, you know, almost 20 percent from where it is right now. It's a pretty good return. Uh, I'm willing to hang in there and get through the doldrums that we're in right now which, by the way, are doldrums for the whole market. I mean, we just had an incredible earnings season. I know it's not quite over yet. An incredible earnings season, and the market is stuck. That happens sometimes. We've got some macroeconomic issues that we're working through. We'll work through those, but the earnings by the end of the year, both for Apple and the market overall, are going to power us higher. What are the macroeconomic issues we're working through, Jim? Oh, well, I mean, you, you ask as if you don't know, but of course I'm talking about what's going to happen with taxes and what's the Fed going to do. And yes, I know we're supposed to believe the Fed, take them at, at their word, but the fact of the matter is the market isn't taking them at their word. Um, you see that when you see Wednesday's reaction to uh, the inflation results, at least in the stock market, going way down. Those are the macroeconomic issues, taxes and interest rates, that are going to be facing the market for at least the next couple of months. One of the other issues about these stocks, Joe, the, the mega caps, let's just play off of Apple for a second, on news that Daniel Loeb's third point has cut its share stake in Amazon by 21 percent and by Facebook in Facebook by more than 9 percent. I mean, it's my understanding that this just happened because they were big winners and you take some chips off the table when you have very big winners and then you get positions that are a little um, oversized to where they were before. No more, no less. But nonetheless, it is taking some chips off the table in some very big winners. Maybe that's what had happened with Apple, too, right? All of those stocks had run up so much. You can't fault anybody for taking some money off the table. But it is notable that you're taking the money from that place in the market, ringing the register from there. Well, that's the depth of liquidity. That's also the realization, maybe, and I'm not going to speak for Dan, but maybe it's the realization that the environment of 2021 is one that's going to be uh, valuing companies, paying premium for companies that are tethered to this reopening, both here in the U.S. and now in Europe, on better COVID trends. So I, I see nothing wrong with that. You're correct. That's taking profits on a company. But I don't understand why we can't just uh, come to the acknowledgement that there's a possibility, and I believe this is going to be the case, that Apple and Amazon are going to underperform the S&P this year. They did the same exact thing in 2016, coming off the 2015 manufacturing recession. It doesn't mean I have to get out of the stock, but it's just going to be a year where they're going to underperform. Well, Pharma Jim, Mike Wilson is bullish again. I, I think... He's bullish he again. He is. I thought I read oh, his wow. note. And he uh, was. I, I read know. his note. I know. I'm just. I'm being a little bit facetious, <laughs> a little tongue in cheek, okay. because you didn't let me finish. I was going to say, oh, all right, slightly. He's being both slightly. 
He raised his 12-month, and I hope he's watching now and, and chuckling along with us. He raised his 12-month S&P target to 42.25 for a year from now. In June of 2022. A year from now. Do you know what upside that well, represents, Farmer Jim? One point two percent. I think I can do that math. One point two percent. One point two percent. You mean I was off forty percent mm. from my estimate of how much that would be up? One point two percent. We know. We know Mike. We love Mike. We really do, and he's a friend of the show. He is, I think he would admit, generally bearish. I mean, during the five years that I've been working with him on the show, he's generally been bearish. So relative to him, oh, he's that gonna, actually is kind of bullish. He's going to rip you up the next yeah. time he's on that, and you're on. Because, I, I mean, there were times when he was bearish, but he's had times where, you know, he's gotten it right, too. I mean, you could get it wrong and then get it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't need to. I don't need to turn this into a me versus Mike do Wilson. It. I mean, it, just it, do it, it. He is who he is. Here's the point. <laughs> do it. Here's the point. You know, he's on the closing bell today. You should tune in. Five years. Mike Wilson is on the closing it's, it's bell today. Later today, Lisa, <laughs> the executive producer okay. of that show, I, Scott, play, you should play this right now for Mike Wilson. Let's just start something. All right. Well, it's already started then. You know how to stir the pot. But here's the point. Over the last five years, has it been right to be bearish? Leave Mike out of it for a second. Has it been right to be bearish? No, it hasn't been. Uh, and I think that's going to be the case going forward. I just mentioned a second ago some macroeconomic variables that, yeah, I'm watching what's going to come with taxes and what's going to come with interest rates. But those are not fatal to the market. Those are things that the market's digesting right now and then setting up for whatever earnings are going to be in 2022. They might be $200 a share on the S&P 500, even with a 25% tax rate. That tells us we're trading, you know, right around 20 times earnings. That's a base level off of which we can grow. And again, that's with a 25% tax uh, hike. It, you know, I think David Costin is, is saying pretty much as, as well, and he's got a higher price target than what uh, Mike Wilson does. So I just don't think you're supposed to be bearish. It isn't about me versus Mike. It's the market over time goes up. Well, and maybe, maybe we've worked off of some of the excess within the market. That's what Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, has been looking at. Mike, I mean, did we come back from some of these extremes in a way that puts us on more solid footing? Yeah, Scott, or at least that's the process that's underway. I think you can say there is a reset. Conveniently, if you go back one month, the S&P 500 was basically at the same level. Back then, getting to that level was a sprint higher. It was 8% up in three weeks. You had all the surveys and positioning information saying people were pretty far over their skis. Things looked a little bit stretched. Everyone was overexcited about that earnings season that really did deliver and more, yet it didn't really feed into uh, you know, great results in the stock market. You've also had, I think, a little bit of a, of a flurry of, uh, of concern over inflation that seems like it got foreground foregrounded and therefore everybody had something else to worry about. So I think you can basically say sentiment has been reset. Valuations, especially mega cap growth versus the rest of the market, have really come in. The Nasdaq 100 gave up the big premium that it had built up for a while. You talked about, you know, the more aggressive speculative tech stocks, the big, uh, you know, ARK Invest type names and the cloud, things like that. They've been correcting for three months. So it doesn't mean it's over, but it means that uh, at the same level of the overall stock market, you seem to have uh, fewer imbalances out there. You have fewer areas where people 
feel like it's it's pretty stretched. Now, we're not oversold. It doesn't mean that we've all of a sudden created some monumental buying opportunity tactically because I think it is just kind of uh, more neutral than it is extended. But I think it's worth remembering uh, that this is kind of the way the market works. I mean, people uh, at the yeah. same price can have a very different feeling and view about it based on where it's been. But if we have worked off some of the excess we can get back to talking about that thing we were talking about before we got all crazy about interest rates, and that was Goldilocks. Right. That, that's where Anthony Scaramucci went with us the other day. He mentioned that word, a word that you heard a lot until rates made the move and then everybody started freaking out that the Fed was going to have to have its hand forced. Exactly. Now, I'm not sure Goldilocks uh, is necessarily going to be the way it feels because that all came about when it was a very predictable, measured type expansion. It wasn't creating any potential for overheating. Um, so to me, it seems like this very compressed cycle that we're in has different dynamics. I mean, really what's been going on is, is you've had this huge ongoing rotation towards cyclical and reflation stocks. It's been kind of offset by the deflation of, of the big growth names that were expensive. And that has sort of netted out into a pretty decent year so far to date, but a frustrating period over the last several weeks. So I do think it's true that we go through these these little scares, uh, whether it's inflation right now or something else. I mean, you look at commodity markets, they were going vertical, getting people very nervous. They've come off, uh, you know, off the boil as well. Right. So I'm making a list as you're as I'm listening to you to speak about. So what do we have? Right. We, we still have liquidity overload. Right. We have some of the move in rates cooling off. We know that the Fed's not doing any time, any, anything anytime soon. And we have a dramatically improved earnings picture. That yeah. sounds pretty darn good. Right. I mean, and that's the backdrop. That's the support for what is, you know, most almost certainly an ongoing bull market until proven otherwise. It doesn't necessarily mean that each unit of positive news that you just tick off is going to translate into as much upside for the overall market. That, to me, is the period we're in right now where, you know, you're somewhat past peak acceleration in terms of macro getting better. Uh, you have a little bit of the offsets coming in, whether it is in the form of taxes or the taper talk that's probably going to get louder if you get great jobs numbers in the next couple of months. All those things are the give and take. By the way, is everyone not already consumed with this charts that have been making the rounds for months, comparing this run off the low from the one in 2009, from the one in 1982, and all it shows is in year two, things flatten out, you get a little choppy, maybe you have some corrections in there, and it seems almost like everyone is expecting that. It's not as if you have uh, the consensus calling for much higher uh, prices. We still might get that corrective choppy period, but I don't think it's going to blindside anybody. Tiff, it's all about where you want to be, I suppose. And I know we're, we're having fun a little bit at Mike Wilson's uh, expense. I know he forgives us for that, but we can, we'll, we'll hear from him <laughs> later on the closing bell, I know. He favors reflation over reopening. Now, there was a period of time where, you know, at least I, and I'm sure others too, I think they did anyway, refer to them as the same thing, right? The, the reopen trade was, in effect, a reflation trade because you're reflating the economy and things that would play into that story were going to go up, like financials, et cetera, et cetera. However, he downgrades industrials to equal weight, and he's underweight discretionary. That's a counterintuitive play as we're ready to go nuts this summer. Tiff, what do you think about that? Hmm. Yeah, um, so... You know, for, for me, I keep kind of getting back to this idea that we are really in this um, transition period, right? So, you know, reopen, and, and we've been talking about, no matter what, whether you call it reopen, you know, uh, reflationary, we've been talking about that 
for quite some time. And I never really wanted to buy into that, right? So I do believe this volatility is going to continue. It kind of it really all goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, what the Fed is going to do. They are going to stay on the sidelines. They are really watching that jobs number very closely. Again, I go back to saying I don't think it's going to be as smooth. This, this jobs recovery is going to be smooth as, as people uh, really think that it's going to be. And I'm looking for ways, opportunities to kind of play both sides, right? And so again, I just go back to these individual names that I think are going to continue to do well over the long term. And by the way, speaking about, you know, Kathy Wood, she has a five-year time horizon. You know, um, she was on CNBC, I think maybe it was like uh, um, um, last week, saying this is exactly where she wants to be. And people tend to kind of talk about her and go, oh, your names are so down, whatever. She has vision, and I'm a 1,000% with her. She's got a five-year time horizon. That's a similar time horizon that I have, and I'm in this for the long haul, but it's about picking these individual names that work in our new society, in oh. our in our um new way of living and that's really the trend that i'm that that, that i'm thinking about because okay. it's not really a trend fair it's enough it's going to be our new normal fair enough i mean you you're uh, you're entitled to have a certain level of conviction and you shouldn't let anybody waver you off that not the least of which me no. um all right mike santoli back to you is mike wilson playing it too cute by saying that you you want to play the reflation trade maybe more that more so than a reopen and by that you can love the financials but maybe not like the industrials so much. Is that reasonable? I get, I understand that if by reopening trade, you're talking about the very targeted, hardest hit areas of the market, where it's travel, restaurants, uh, and things like that, where you, you really did have just a massive swing factor. Industrials typically would be, I would think, uh, you know, included in reflation as well. It's a global move. But financials, materials, energy, uh, things like that that really are riding this, um, you know, this sort of move to a different regime, whether it's going to be higher yields or it's going to be a kind of a quicker pace of the global recovery, it makes sense. And I understand, you know, where Mike's coming from in terms of if you're fully invested, your decision is, uh, you know, you're a professional investor, your decision is kind of how to allocate among the various opportunities. And, and right now it's hard necessarily to say growth is going to underperform, as you guys were talking about, and say that the index itself which is like 55, 60% big growth, is actually going to race to the upside. So this, I think that's what we're all contending. This is by far the most promotion that a guest later in the day has ever gotten <laughs> in the history of television, I think, for oh, the Mike Wilson it. appearance. On the closing bell, I cannot wait to see what he has to say. Joe Terranova, are you buying industrials or are you cutting industrials? You're the man who runs the ETF, the Joe T. What's in favor, what's out? So within the industrials, I specifically like logistics as it relates to moving goods. That will take you to the rails. That will take you to Old Dominion Freight Line, which is in the index. That will also take you to Landstar, uh, UPS, FedEx. For the airlines, I think a lot of uh, the favorability on reopening, that's priced in. Recreational travel we know will be strong. I'm not so confident as it relates to business travel. So those are the places I think you could look. I think overall, uh, I think this market moves higher. But I'll introduce one word listening to your conversation with Mike, Scott, and that's leverage. Tell me where I could find the indicator where I could measure what the leverage is in the market. And that's why when I look at technology, I want to be at a Cisco or an Oracle or an Intuit. I'm not so sure I want to step into the trade desk or DocuSign right now. Do you want to step Tell into Twilio? Do you, want to ste do you want to step into Twilio, which you once no. owned? No. 
No, I don't. Not right here because I can't properly measure where the leverage is in the system. And keep in mind, we sure knew coming into this year, Scott, since 2009, there was 782 SPACs that have been brought to the market. Do you know 556 of them have occurred since April 1st of last year? Yeah. That's excessive leverage. That's beginning to delever. I want to just be very judicious, take a step back and move away from right. that. I got, I got to thank Santoli um, before I, my, I move on. Michael, thank you, All right. uh, as always. L- love the conversation, um, which is interesting. Now, Joe, who threw Tiffany under the bus at the start of the show, has just thrown <laughs> Farmer Jim under the bus, too, because Jim <laughs> bought Twilio. I set it up perfectly. I set you up, Joe, and you took the bait. Good. Farmer Jim <laughs> bought Twilio. Okay. <laughs> Why, Jim? You just heard Joe just threw yeah. that thing under the bus, backed I'm- over it, and then ran over it again. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm coming at it from a different perspective than Joe, and I want to be careful, Joe, about not speaking for you, but I know you have participated in these stocks on the way up, and you've made great money doing so. Yep. You also know that I haven't been yep. in these stocks And I'm looking at them now, a Twilio down, you know, about 35% from its high, maybe a little bit more. I'm seeing what the company is doing in its fundamentals, enabling e-commerce in a way that everyday people use. And I'm seeing it get uh, results that are better than expected. And I'm saying, I want to start nibbling. Nibbling is a word that John used just a few minutes ago. That's what I'm doing. I have a 1% position in Twilio because I think it's going to continue to outperform. But like Joe... I question the leverage in the system. This thing may well go down. That's why it's only 1%. But if it goes down another 15, 20%, I keep legging my way in. I'm not expecting significant news until the next earnings report, which is going to be 10 weeks away. So this is a time for me to gently, slowly get involved. I'm coming into it. Joe's been getting out of it. Yeah, it's just like the Godfather right there, Jim. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Now, it's not Roku. I'll give you that. I'll I've, give you that, I feel but like you today, couldn't I feel stay like today away. Is you more, thought you were done with these things. I feel, <laughs> I feel like today is more like a light beer commercial. That's not what he said. Or, uh, you know, tastes great versus less filling than it is the Godfather. But, but your point is well made. And the other day when we were talking about Roku, I teased that, yeah, I've got something up my sleeve. Um, Twilio was up, what's up my sleeve. I lo- this I can value a little bit better. I can understand it a little bit better than Roku. Even the dog knows there's something crazy going on. Dr. J, I see you raising your, fi- your, your hand. This is the last point, and we'll take a quick break. Go ahead. Okay, Scott, take a look at the resource and materials plays. You talked about industrials and materials with the group. Um, this is on fire today. Uh, and it's, of course, BTU is just exploding to the upside Uh, And that's not meant to be a pun, but that stock's up 26 percent, Scott. Um, You look at the rest of this group, you know, uh, I've got CNX up three and a half percent, Cliffs up five and a half percent, Freeport up three percent and so on and so forth. Uh, That's where money is flowing, wherever they're pulling it out from, Scott. In many cases, some of those Kathy Wood stocks and so forth, some of those stocks that have been so beaten up, they are going into these stocks heavy right now. And they've been doing it since March 4th. You can put them on a chart and they'll just go from the lower left to the upper right pretty steep. Almost all of those names, Scott. So that's where I think people are putting the cash right now because of all the issues that we brought up during the show about 
people waiting to hear more about taxes, okay. watching the Fed, as well as getting people back to work. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Tiffany just bought one of the stocks involved in that big media merger today. We're going to tell you which one she did next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right. By now, you know about that big media deal today involving AT&T, WarnerMedia and Discovery now. There's a couple ways to obviously look at this. You can look at it through the streaming and the media spectrum, or you can look at it through the wireless component. That's where I want to start. Why? Because Tiffany McGee bought AT&T today. So now, Tiff, well, you tell me why first, because now what you essentially have, you have two pure plays. You have the pure play wireless companies now ready to just go go at it with each other, right? Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile. You bought AT&T today. Why? Well, I bought it um, because of because of the deal. Um, and this just changes things, you know, and, and really primarily because of the streaming. You know, we talk about and I know you want to talk about um, uh, wireless. And so AT&T was already in the game for wireless. Um, and we, we did like them, but we hadn't purchased them um, before. But this deal changes everything, right? So we talk about streaming. We always talk about Netflix and Disney Plus. Um, but now with this deal, this changes the game, right? So when you look about when you look at what what Warner owns, so um, CNN, uh, TBS, TNT, HBO Max, uh, with Discovery um, owns TLC, HGTV, Food Network, um, Discovery Channel. The, a lot of these channels, aside from HBO Max, are things that you can't get on Netflix and things that you can't get on Disney Plus. Things that you can only get with um, uh, a TV subscription, right? It's super duper annoying. Everybody out here listening knows that um, if you wanna watch the Food Network, you can't do it on Netflix, right? And it's, it's very, very annoying. Um, and so what they've been able to do is really merge these two, and I think they have an opportunity to really change the entire game. What I'm looking for is for them to say, and hopefully they will do this, that they're gonna then stream live TV because then they're in Hulu, um, Hulu territory. And then that um, that changes, really, it's going to be revolutionary because Netflix says that their biggest um, competitor is linear TV, not Disney Plus, right? So I own 
um, you know, uh, Netflix, right? I don't own I don't own Disney Plus, but I also have to get a, a, a live TV subscription from Hulu because I did cut the cord, but I still need to be able to watch my news. I can't watch CNBC on Netflix, right? Um, so I'm looking at this as an opportunity for them to do something that nobody else has been able to do because everyone is like hoarding their own content. Yes, they have content, right? Game of Thrones, Sex in the City, all of that, great. Right, but, you're, but they have this opportunity. Isn't, isn't mm-hmm. this deal, forgive me, but isn't, isn't this deal, I mean, so, some are saying it's sort of an indictment of the, the original AT&T and Time Warner deal, and now AT&T is essentially getting rid of these content assets, but you're looking at this as more beneficial to AT&T itself than this new entity? Didn't you just give me all the reasons why you would either want to buy Discovery or the new entity? No. Well, so so remember, AT&T is going to shareholders are going to own 70 percent of of this new entity. Right. And then they haven't to, like, really been clear about what the end product is going to be. Right. Whether they're going to really strip out Discovery Plus or, or whether it's actually going to merge. Because the two the, the two CEOs were were just on CNBC earlier um, yes, this morning. I so I want to hear that. more about that. Yeah. And I want to hear more about what the end product is going to look like. Um, is it going to be some variation of Discovery Plus? Is it going to be separate? Um, I have to believe that, that that in some form or fashion, it's going to include everything. Um, and then I'm also really looking for that for that, um, you know, network TV piece, that live TV piece, because at the end of the day, we want to watch news in real time. Um, and they haven't said anything about that yet. But I think when you think about um, the the AT&T um, direct TV situation, it was horrific for customers, including myself. And if they can get that right, this is a total game changer. Kramer tweeted, I don't think that people realize that AT&T is going to have at least a 50% dividend cut, which is why if you want income, it should be sold. You want to respond to that tweet? It got my attention. yeah, so that's what they're saying. Um, and so, listen, we didn't buy AT&T for the dividend. We're buying it for the opportunity. Again, this is a long-term play for us. So, yeah, we do like total return, um, but AT&T is not uh, a value stock for us. It's, we're, not, we're not buying it for, for um, the dividend. And I think it also depends on if you owned it, what you want to do with it, and if you just bought it, what, you, you know, uh, what, what your plan is. So for us, we just bought it, and our plan is to hold it long-term because we just recognize the opportunity that, that we see you know, uh, two, three, four, five years down the line. Okay. Coming up next, the big ETFs you need to watch today. We're back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The governor of New York says... Let's open. Andrew Cuomo speaking in the last hour. The state is adopting the new CDC guidance on masks. Fully vaccinated people do not need to wear one except on public transportation. Social distancing also not needed. Now people who have not been vaccinated still do need to mask up and socially distance. And tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, the controversial question of making COVID vaccines mandatory for healthcare workers. 
A big change for abortion law may be coming. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear a case involving a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Abortion opponents hope that the conservatives added to the high court will weaken the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. South Carolina's governor has signed a law designed to restart executions. Death row inmates there will need to choose between the electric chair or a firing squad. Lack of drugs for legal or lethal injections had put executions on hold there for 10 years. And an associate of Representative Matt Gates pleading guilty to sex trafficking charges this morning. Joel Greenberg is also cooperating with federal prosecutors. His case led to an investigation of Gates. The Florida Republican representative continues to deny doing anything wrong. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate it. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, Bob Pisani now with today's ETF Edge. Bob. Hey, thanks, Scott. Money continues to pour into ETFs, particularly equity ETFs, but bonds are having a tougher time of it. Let's talk with Charles Ellis. He's the author of the investment classic, Winning the Losers Game. It's out tomorrow in a new and expanded eighth edition. Charlie, you have been a big backer of ETFs, but also of indexing over active investment in general. In the new edition, you say the evidence for index-backed investing is stronger than ever. Why is that? Well, things change. I love being 18, 20, 25. That was a wonderful time. But I'm now in <clears throat> my advanced 80s, and I have to recognize and be prepared to adapt. There's been a big change in the way investing goes. Years ago, active investing was really fun, easy to do almost, and for people who are very bright and working hard, it was something they could accomplish. But times change, times change, times change. And now all the advantages we had in those days have been put behind us. We used to be inside information by going to private meetings. We don't get that anymore. It's against the law. We used to have research that nobody else had. That's gone. Everybody has access to research. None of us had Bloomberg terminals. Now everybody has Bloomberg terminals. The information flow, and everybody has it, makes everybody equal. So if you're going to a fight, then you're 6'2 and I'm 5'10", you're going to win. But if it's a knife fight, I might fool you. And if it's a gunfight, we might be equal. And if it's a machine gun fight, we are equal. That's what's happened. If you look yeah. at the data, 90% yeah, of active managers are falling short. 80%, more than 80%, I think it's closer to 90% fall short over the last, uh, over a 10-year period. Charlie, there's also a new chapter uh, in your book on bonds. You've been pretty negative on bonds. You say the traditional concept of invest your age in bonds, it doesn't work anymore. The 60-40 idea is dead as well. Why is it not working and what should investors do about the bond portfolio? Every one of us is different. My eyes are different. My fingerprint is different. And those are differences that matter. Every one of us is different as an investor. I'm at my age still able to earn my living, cover family expenses. So when I'm investing, I'm 100% in stocks because I'm really investing for my grandchildren. And from their point of view, stocks are the only way that makes any sense at all. If you look at somebody who's 35 in an active profession and they're really good at it, for them to have 35% of their money in bonds, forget all the things that are also yep. going on, particularly their ability to earn and save money. So if you look at the value of their intellectual property, later on you can include Social Security. We also should include homes because there's real value there. Your total portfolio, which is the way all of us should be looking at investing, says in the equity portion, in the securities portion, you should at least have 
most all of it in equities unless you've got a particular purpose coming up soon. Like you're going to buy a house, okay. fine, okay. set the money aside for the house. But otherwise, okay. much more on this. <laughs> I know you feel very passionately, Charlie. We want to talk about that. So we're going to talk much more with Charlie Ellis in our ETF Ed show at 1 p.m. Eastern time. He'll be joined by Dave Nodick from ETF Trends. We'll look deeper into the growing divide between active and index or passive investing, the impact of inflation on your portfolio, and a little bit from Charlie on ESG. Maybe good for your soul, but it's really good for your investments. All that on etfedge.cnbc.com at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And Scott, winning the losers game, one of the great investment classics of all time. Yeah. New edition out tomorrow. Yeah, he's a legend. Uh, look forward to that, Bob. Thank you. All right, stay with us. John's unusual activity trades are next. We'll do it right after this. Okay, Dr. J, tell us what he got. I've got a just old time tech, Scott, WDC, Western Digital, big storage player, uh, blew out the earnings at the end of April, came out with a bunch of call buying in June 90 strike today, uh, Scott. They bought June 90s. They bought all the way up over the 100 strike, which is Longbow's target for the stock. I bought the calls. Um, I'll probably be in these calls about three weeks, Scott. Uh, again, about half a million share equivalent traded. Second trade, hog. This one expires this week. So I'll probably be in this trade for about three to four days. They were buying the at the money call, the 49 calls with the stock trading at 49.15. Um, love this one. Somebody's betting that the turnaround over at hog continues and that Harley zooms again, Scott. I'll be in that trade again, short term, three to four days. Okay. You have an update for us, too. I have on my sheet, right? The XBI, is that I right? I do. XBI. Yep. Uh, we talked about the unusual activity in the puts of the XBI, Scott. That's the biotech index. It has cratered. It got all the way down, I think, to about 122 last week. Closed out the puts. No longer short this one. It's back up to a 125, 126. I'll keep looking at it, but I think that was a very nice move, and we decided to cash out. All right. All right, Doc. Thank you. Ask Halftime is next. Send your questions to us by video. We'll play it on the air. You can email us. AskHalftime at CNBC.com. We'll be right back. All right. Let's do it. Video question, Doc, for you to start it off. Hello. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Question is for John on Roblox or Coinbase from a trader perspective for the next um, uh, three months, would you rather have calls in Coinbase or in uh, Roadblox? Thank you. All right, Doc, Great what do you question, think? What Scott. do you think? Um, what do you think? Yep. Well, uh, overall, I like Roblox better than Coinbase, but after this just shellacking that the stock has mm, taken, yeah. falling from 425 down to 250, um, I got to think that a call spread pays off more in COIN than Roblox. So that's my answer. All right. So it's nuanced and it's interesting. Uh, thanks for the question. Thanks for the answer. All right, Joe, roll the tape for you. Hi, Ron from Iowa. My question is to Joe. WTI, should I buy, sell, or hold? Thank you. What's the answer, Joe? Ron, I th the answer to that question is buy. Oil is about to break above its 10-year average at $67. The incentive to move the country towards renewables through higher prices. All right, Tiff, 
Kara in New York has a question for you. I'm currently down 8% in Twitter, she says. Is this a dip to buy more or should I cut my losses and get out? Definitely a dip to buy more. So I'm a long-term investor. I tend to hold names about three to five years, even longer. Uh, so I wouldn't sell now. I think that it's just the Twitter is just really catching some of the downward momentum from from the broader tech uh, sector. It's down year to date. It's down about four percent. So compared to some of the other tech names, uh, I think it's actually um, doing doing quite well. Um, so I would buy more if you have conviction around it. Okay. Finally, Farmer Jim from Sammy in Massachusetts. A good time for Camping World. Should I add to my position? What do you think? Well, no, I don't think you should add to your position. You can hold it, but we've got to call it like it is. The stock is up 70% year to date. It's up 300% over the last two years. This is not a time to add. Uh, a lot of the good news is priced in. If you want to hold it, that's fine, but you should be looking to scale your way out, not in. Okay, thank you for that. Thanks for the questions, too. Final Trades coming up next. All righty, let's do final trades. Dr. J, I'm starting with you and you have a little more time. Tell me about this FXI you just bought. Yeah, um, Scott, this uh, particular large cap China ETF, the FXI, is down from about a 55 level in early February down to these lows, which is basically picking it up at last October prices. So I like that. Big activity in the name today, Scott, and the options. So that's why I bought it. I'm looking for it to break back towards 55 rather than breaking down further than 44 where it is now. Okay, good stuff, Doc. Thank you. Tiffany McGee, to you. Thank you. Corn Ferry. Uh, so premier executive search and consulting firm. Uh, employers are looking for top talent. We don't have a lack of jobs, but, um, you know, people can now uh, sit back and really kind of pick and choose what jobs they want. Also, with diversity inclusion becoming a priority with a lot of employers, um, you know, working with a company who knows how to attract and really retain diverse talent is going to be really key okay. here. And Corn Ferry does as well. All right. Thank you. Farmer Jim. Yeah, Alaska Airlines. I flew last week. Airports are packed. This one does not rely on business travelers. All right. The man who threw half the team under the bus today has the last word. Quick. <laughs> Bank of America. All right. Good stuff. Good to see everybody. Thanks for watching The Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.